we have uh, begun a journey and we're going to continue in this journey until God tells us to do something different. So we are in the book of Psalms for those of you who are uh, joining for the first time. Um, we are in the book of Psalms and um, um, we are in the 27th number or 27th chapter of the book of Psalms. Now on your screen, there is a slide that has the first three uh, or the first two scriptures. I will go ahead and read those. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Amen. Praise God. Um, powerful words in the book of Psalms. Psalms, uh, the 27th number, uh, happens to be one of my favorite um, psalms um, in to, uh, to study. It is just a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, psalms, set of scriptures, and there's so much uh, in it, so much in that section or that in that psalm alone that it's worth studying. Now, we have done an overview of the book of Psalms. And in the book, on this overview, we've talked about all sorts of things from the different types of psalms, okay? Um, the purpose of those psalms, how we are to use those psalms, all of these different things. We even went as far as talking about the different subcategories of psalms. We learned that there were about eight of those, uh, and we won't get into any of those things. We have recorded those lessons, so we do ask that um, if you are interested in that, um, that you go ahead and uh, download those, um, download the previous lessons. They are actually in the chat. Um, I have the links for those in the chat. For those of you who have missed uh, any of them, you can download those and click on those links um, um, and and get a, and get a, and download copies of the previous messages. Now we've talked about all of these different things, but last week we talked about something um, extremely, extremely um, fun. A really, really great topic. We talked about some of the characteristics of God. So in Psalms, um, the 27th chapter, um, um, and uh, in the first verse of Psalms, we see the scripture tells us, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And we took really a deep dive, started a deep dive uh, into, this, into these, these, uh, these attributes. Last week, we said that when we talk about attributes, as it refers to God, attributes are characteristic. Now, when we talk about attributes of God, you are really talking about what makes God, God. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. What is it that makes God, God? What makes him different than everyone else? What makes him different from everything else? This is a question that we don't always stop to ponder. But if you do, if you ever stop to ponder those questions, what makes God, God? What makes God different? You don't have to have an exhaustive answer. In fact, you'll never be able to answer it all. You'll never be able to fully describe what makes God, God, and what makes God different than you and I. You'll never be able to tell, to tell or describe just how different God is just how, how other God is in comparison to us. But what you will be able 
to do is that you will be able to identify uh, certain things about God that are unique. Now, these unique things about God are what we call attributes or characteristics. These are the things that are about God that are unique to God and God alone. So in essence, while I might not be able to tell you definitively every single thing that makes God different, what I can tell you in a general sense is, is that God has characteristics or attributes that belong only to him. For example, God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. God is omniscient. That means he, you know, he knows everything. God is um, omnipresent. He's all everywhere at the same time. These are these are attributes and characteristics of God that make God God. They are unique to God. They don't belong to anybody else. Okay. And so when we get to Psalms 27, David starts out with some personal declaration about the attributes or some attributes of God. And he happened to point out two attributes from the beginning, just straight out from the jump. He goes right into two attributes. And we started talking about these attributes last week, though they are light and salvation. Verse one, Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now we discovered in the previous lesson that this is really almost, a, this is really a, really, uh, this can be looked at as a rhetorical question. It's a question that you don't really need to answer because the declaration or the declarative statement in this verse one is also the answer to the question. So yes, it is a question, but he really, if you stop, take a pause, step back and look at it, his statement before asking the question is also the answer or provides the answer to the question. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And so the answer to whom shall I fear is obviously when you look at the fact that God is his light and his salvation, the answer is obviously there's no one to fear because as long as God is light, amen, and as long as God is salvation, there will be nothing and nobody to fear, amen. Somebody probably needed to hear that because you're probably dealing with fear or have been dealing with fear in others. Listen, can I tell you, and yes, I am, God is still God. He is still on the throne. He is still in charge. He's still calling all the shots. Now think about what I said. That's in spite of COVID. That's in spite of financial situations. That's in spite of any other sickness. That's in spite of any and everything else. God is still God. And no matter where you are today, remind yourself of that. Allow yourself to be reminded of that. That in all these things, the Bible says you're more than conquerors. God is still God. No matter how the situation changes, no matter what the new season brings to you, what it brings to your family, what it may bring to your community, that don't change the fact that God is still God. And if God is still God, the last time I checked, he's still able. See, because God still has all power. 
God still can make a way out of no way. God is still opening doors. God is still saving the lost. God is still providing for the hungry. God is still providing for the needy. God is still doing all of these things. And you know what? He's doing it for his namesake. He's doing it for his glory because as long as God is still God, as long as he's light, as long as he's salvation, there will, brothers and sisters, friends, those who are joining for the very first time, there is nothing to fear. Psalms 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So he answers that question, but then we dove into this concept or into this, this reality or these attributes of light and salvation. And we discovered some really wonderful things about light um, last week. We discovered how when we talk about God being light, amen, when we talk about God um, being light, then what we're really talking about um, is an attribute of God. And we went into kind of a deep dive into this attribute. And one of the things that we kind of we kind of settled on, or what we settled on, was that when we talk about God being light, okay, what we learned is, is that there is that there is a visual characteristic to the presence of God, or I should say there can be a visual characteristic to the presence of God that he sometimes makes visible to various degrees. Now, God has revealed himself in flesh. What did he do? He put on the flesh of a man, gave that man a name. What was that name? Jesus. That's God Almighty. So there's an aspect that God has manifest in order to provide us salvation. That's what he did. But that's God as he's in um, in his manifested form as far as the flesh. But there are other ways that we learned on last week that God manifests his form. There are ways that God has done that. In the Old Testament, we talked about theophanies, or these are the pre-incarnate manifestations of Christ. So in other words, these are the, these are the manifestations of God where he appears as a human, but this is before he actually literally takes on the flesh of a human as he did in the New Testament when he was born of a virgin named Mary. Amen. That's when he literally took on the flesh, the garments of, of, of mankind. Amen. But prior to that, all in the Old Testament, God showed up at various times and made himself visible to certain degrees. Now, even in the theophany form or the pre-incarnate this is where he appears um, as a human or appears in, as in the form of a man. That's what you're talking about when you're talking about a theophany, okay, of God. He, in that form, God appears as a man. But there are times where God has made his presence, amen, made it visible to a certain degree that we were able and then allowed us to see it, amen. God can't. God does not make the fullness of, of, of his nature or his character or, his, or uh, his vesture visible to us because no man can look on God and live. You can't do that. If we've seen God in all his splendor and all his absolute, ab, uh, absolute glory, you, the, the human body cannot, can, cannot take that. You wouldn't be able to tolerate that. I can't tolerate that. So what God, does God do? God tones it down a bit 
or makes it visible to a certain extent. And when God does this, when he, and in, when God does this without using a theophany, okay, a pre-incarnate form, and when he's done this prior to taking on um, the incarnation where he took on physical flesh, wrapped that around his divinity, so to speak, when God has made, when God makes his character visible while in his spirit form, because the Bible teaches, and we've learned this, amen, right in John uh, in John um, 4 st. John 4 24 God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth God is not a man he is a spirit and so when God makes his spirit visible his spirit amen when he makes that visible that characteristic is often referred to as the glory or the splendor of God but we learned something also unique about that. That this glory or this splendor of God, amen, that God sometimes makes visible to us, oftentimes it, it in and of itself has a brilliance or a light about it. Amen. Why? Because 1 John 1 and 5 tells us God is light. We know that. Amen. But then look at Psalms 104. Turn to Psalms 104, and I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. Because God's spirit, when he makes it visible to us, there is a brightness or a brilliance or a light component to it. Psalms 104 verse 1 says this, Bless the Lord, O my, o my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed, with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with what? Light, as with a garment. So God's spirit, God's nature, God's characteristic, when God appears or manifests his, his, his spirit, or when he chooses to make uh, some of that visible, it comes all up oftentimes as light. Now, we learned this, and we've seen examples of this in Acts chapter 22, verse 11, when we deal uh, we look at the conversion or the recount of Paul of his conversion on the road of Damascus. He says, and when I could not see for the glory of the light, amen, there's that word light, and he calls it glory all at the same time, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. So here's Paul persecuting the church. God, the Lord reveals himself to him. And when he reveals himself to him, he sees the glory of the Lord and, but he's along with this glory, he sees light. Amen. And we learned that he was taught that, 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 so this light component comes along with it. We learned that there are other aspects to the glory of God. We learned that God's glory, amen, can have the appearance of fire. We learned that in Exodus. We learned that it can have the appearance of vapor or smoke or cloud, the glory of God. Amen. Uh, we learned that in Exodus chapter 40. Um, we um, also learned that it can have a weight when the presence of God comes in. There is an actual, you can literally feel the presence of God. And that, and, and that is what is called weight or pressure. And we learned that in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. We also learned that the manifestation of God's glory can also have a colorful component to it. It can manifest in the colors of the rainbow, okay, or that rainbow spectrum. And we learned that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. Amen. We also learn 
that not only this God's glory can manifest in both, he can manifest both cloud and bright. It can be that simultaneously. And we learned that in Ezekiel chapter 10. Amen. We learned that Jesus, when we talk about, he is that same light because Jesus is God. That's John 1 and 1 through 14. And we've learned uh, John, uh, St. John chapter 8 at verse number 12. Amen. And as long as Jesus is in the world, we learn that the world will have light. Amen. That's John uh, 9 and 5. We also learned and kind of ended with something that just as God is light, we're also called to be light. We're called to be like God. In Leviticus chapter 11 and uh, chapter 19 and in chapter 20, all in, the all in the book of Leviticus, we learn in various, where, in various locations that God has called us to be holy. That means we're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be undefiled. We're supposed to be clean. We're supposed to be like God. The word, and not only that, but we also learn that, 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 that the light of this world um, is supposed to shine through us because we are also called to be light. Amen. Glory to God. And, um, and, and we learned that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we're also called to be light. Now, when we're called to be light, there's a difference. And we learned this. Uh, it's not the same thing. When we're called to be light, what that actually means is, listen, we, we, we're not God. And light is a characteristic. God generates light in and of himself. Amen. His spirit, that is part of his nature. He generates light. God is the source of light. He is the true, the absolute source of light. But in Matthew, we learn that we're called also to be light. And what that means is, is that that light that is, that is God is supposed to find a platform, amen, within us that is unobstructed by which it is able to manifest or to radiate out. So in other words, it is the light of God himself that is supposed to shine through us. We are supposed to be carriers of this light. So imagine yourself being like a torch that is unlit and God himself is the fire. You're the torch, but he's the fire. He's the light. He's all of this. We are vessels to carry the light. Amen. And we learn that if that light is actually hid, then it's hid from those who have been blinded. And we learned that in 2 Chronicles chapter 4. Read verses three through four. Amen. Now the word light, we talked about that and we got all into those, into that. Amen. And we learned that, that when we deal with, um, uh, with light, um, there are, um, metaphoric, uh, applications of it. And then there are natural applications of it, but in our text, so there's a vo verb form of it that means to become light. Okay. And then there is the noun form, which talks about that which actually is light. And, that's, and, and, the, ver, and the noun form of light is, is used about 120 times um, in the scripture. And when it's used in the Psalms, it is always used, or for the most part, it is literally, it is most often used as a poetic term. So in other words, the word, when you define it, does mean actual light. But the context in which it is being used shows that there is a metaphoric application of it. The definition of the word light doesn't change, but the way that it's being used 
the context of what it's being, if, um, the context in which the word light is being used um, brings in different meanings or variances in the meaning of light. Amen. Glory to God. Now, light in the spiritual, in, in last week, we've ended with that, um, that natural sense of light, physical light. But there are some spiritual applications to light and what it represents. Light in the scripture, um, amen, represents many different things. But today I'm going to pull out just a few. One of the things that light does or what it provides or what it represents or is representative of is knowledge. Amen. Knowledge in the scripture can also be representative or metaphorically um, um, or light can be used metaphorically for knowledge. Knowledge or having knowledge in the Bible is akin or the equivalent of having light. And as you read through the scriptures, you will see that. When you have knowledge, you have light. Amen. And knowledge, let's talk about that for a moment. The, 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 the knowledge or light that is knowledge. Amen. Light provides, when you have knowledge, light provides what is called positional or can provide what is called positional awareness. Okay. When you have knowledge, you have with it, what comes with it is positional awareness. Amen. What do I mean by that? Because there is light, because I have this knowledge, when I have this knowledge, because I have light, I have positional awareness. Why? Because with light, I can see where God is. When I have light, I can see where I am. And when I have light, I can see where everyone else is. Amen. So in other words, with light, I'm able to see the position of everything and everyone else. I'm able to see that. That's positional awareness. Look at Psalms 119. Look at verse, verses 129 and verses 130. That is Psalms 119, verse 129 and verse 130. The Bible says this, thy testimonies are wonderful. There doth my soul, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Amen. So here it is. His words, this knowledge, he gi it gives light. It gives understanding. Look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6. Let's look at what that says. Second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6 says this. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the what? Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So light in the scripture represents knowledge. And when you have light or when you have knowledge, you have positional awareness. Why? Because it allows you, light allows you to clearly see you have knowledge of where you are. You can have knowledge of where God is. 
and you can have knowledge of where everyone else is. Another characteristic, spiritual application of light, in addition to knowledge, is wisdom. Light in the scripture is also, can, is also the equivalent of having wisdom. When you have wisdom, now knowledge allows you to have positional awareness. It allows you to see the position of everything around you, including yourself. Knowledge, light as knowledge allows you positional awareness. But light as wisdom allows you contextual or relational awareness. What do you mean? I mean that with wisdom, which is light, all right, I can see where I am in relation to or proximity to where everyone or everything else is in my vicinity. See, with knowledge, I can just see everything. I can see where this is, I can see where that is, and I can see where those things are. But with wisdom, I'm able to gauge the distance. I'm able to see relational awareness. So it's more than just seeing everything. I'm also able to tell how close the proximity it is, I am to everything. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse number 13. The Bible says this, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. And so here he is talking about the contrast. Wisdom is the contrast of folly on the same level as light is the contrast of darkness. They're totally opposite, totally different, totally separate. When you have relational or this contextual awareness, meaning that I am able to see the pro or I am able to gauge the proximity of everything else around me, I'm able to understand with wisdom, in essence, the big picture. Wisdom allows you to see the or to grasp the big picture. I am able to not just see everything, but I can I understand how close or how far away I am to everything. So it allows this positional or this contextual awareness. Amen. Light also provides discernment. Amen. Glory to God. That is it. So we have knowledge. We have wisdom. And we have discernment. And remember, we're not, we're not going exhaustive, but we are giving you a few things that light represents um, in the scripture. And discernment is also one of those things. Amen. Amen. Uh, with discernment, and I want you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians. I want you to get chapter five. And we're going to look at verse 13 and 14 in just a moment. But with discernment, with knowledge comes positional awareness. With wisdom comes relational or contextual awareness. Proximity, I'm able to gauge distance. With knowledge, I can just see it. With not, I got it. I got the information. I have it. But with wisdom, I understand the framework, the context, the big picture in which that fits, where everything goes. I can see how close. I can gauge proximity. Amen. But with discernment, light also is or discernment is also characteristic uh, or synonymous with light in the scripture. 
And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 to 14 says this, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And what it means, all things that are approved, means basically all things that are exposed, okay? Those that are tried, those things that are tested. He said, all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, verse 14, he said, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Amen. Discern. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. That's discernment. That is talking about discernment. Amen. It is talking about taking those things that come your way and discerning what those things are. Discernment, light as discernment provides a motivational. Uh, or I should say motive awareness, okay? In other words, it is the ability to, to distinguish the intent of somebody. With the discernment, light as discernment is the ability to distinguish the intent of a thing. So I understand the motive, and that's what we mean by motivational, okay? Motivational awareness or externally, a motivational awareness, not, not you being motive, motivated to do something. That's not what that means. But what that means is, is understanding or being able to determine the, 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 the intent or the motive of those things around. The Bible tells us to try the spirit by the spirit. People, the scriptures, that's talking about discernment. Okay, that's talking about try it. Why? Try it whether they be of God or not. This is what the scripture teaches us to tell the difference. In other words, use the word. Glory to God. The word of God is light. His word. Amen. His word brings light and his word is able to expose the intent and the motive of that in which it is brought. It is cast upon. God's word is light. And when that light is shined on a person, you got to understand there is no darkness or shadow of turning in God whatsoever. So when a thing or when a person comes up, when you take the spotlight that is the word of God and you shine the word of God on that person, that means that you look at that person's actions you look at their, at their antics, you look at the things that they do, you look at what they say, you take all of that and you line it up to and against the word of God, which is the ultimate measuring rod. And because God's word is light, when I take anything that is not like God and I cast the light of God on that, God's light is going to reveal what that thing really is. Glory to God. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God's word, amen, that God, that, that, that discernment is, 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 is an application or is a manifestation, so to speak, of light. It is, it is, it is characteristic of light because with that discernment, 
or with that light of discernment, God is able to show you what heart, what heart somebody is operating in. Not everybody means you well. There are people that talk a good game. There are people who talk a good spiritual game, but their heart is so far from God, it don't even make sense. But you won't know that if you don't have anything to compare it to. Some of us have been duped by the things that this world brings to us simply because the light of discernment has not been cast on that thing that has come our way. It is God's will that you not perish. It is God's will that you not be taken unaware. The Lord told Peter, watch and pray. Told this, not just to Peter, but to the disciples, watch and pray. Why? So that you don't enter into temptation, so that you don't fall into a snare, so that you don't walk into a pit that you could have known was there. There is no excuse for walking into a pit that you didn't know was there when you had all of the ability to know that it was there. If you had used the word, if I had used the word of God to shine and to determine what it was or what it is that I'm looking at. Amen. We're talking about that light. Then you have conscience. Conscience is also referred to as light. Now, John 1 and 9 tells us um, that God has given light to every man. Amen. And light, conscience, can also be referred to, or light is also representative of, or is synonymous at times with that of having light, or characteristic of light. So conscience, knowledge, is light. Wisdom is light. Discernment is light. And conscience is light. Knowledge brings positional awareness. I see where everything is. Wisdom brings relational awareness. I'm able to gauge the distance and the relation, how close, how far. Discernment brings motivational uh, or motive awareness. Amen. External motive awareness. And with that, that allows you to distinguish the intent or to see the intent or the motives of those around. Glory to God. But then you have conscience. And conscience, also synonymous with light or also characteristic or representative or, or, can, or is, can, um, is, is um, the equivalent of having light. Amen. With conscience brings ethical or moral awareness. Amen. Ethical or moral awareness. Okay. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Hopefully everybody has that. Turn to that. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Because conscience provides, is light, the light of conscience provides ethical or moral awareness. Now, Isaiah 5, 20 says this, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now notice he says, the writer starts out with woe. So that's a warning. 
God, woe is a warning. Whenever in the scripture you see woe, you that mean that is that is an indication that you need to stop, you need to you need to desist, you need to hold what you got, you need to be still. When you see woe, you getting ready. God is getting ready to outline a problem. In other words, when you go past woe, Amen. You getting ready to head into chastisement, or uh, uh, you getting ready to you getting ready to head into chastisement territory. When you go beyond woe, when the Bible tells you woe on something, brothers and sisters, don't be that man, don't be that woman. That when you see woe, you're just gonna go right on ahead, and you're gonna pass all those warning signs, and you're gonna go ahead and do what you want to do. Uh uh. No. When you see woe, that means fun's over. When you see woe, that means the game is over. When you see woe, that means you and I had best not go any further. We had not best, we had best not go beyond this limit. When you say woe, you the Bible is getting ready to disclose a limit or a barrier. God is getting ready to put in up God. When you see woe, God is putting up an, an electrified fence. He is putting up a gate when you see woe. And the Bible says, woe unto them that call good, evil, good, and good, evil. And then he does something. To explain this, he uses two more analogies, okay, or two more descriptions to drive home the point that there is a problem with calling good, evil, and evil, good. God is absolutely against the practice of calling that which is good, evil, and that which is evil, good. God is not about that at all. He is absolutely against that. And to drive the point home, what he wants you to see is, is that that is, it is so bad. It is so, uh, it is, it is, it is, it is such a thing that is, that should not be done. It is the equivalent of putting dark for light and light for dark. He ties it all together. He's, it is the same, it is, it, it, it is so not the thing to do. That just like you can't mistake light for dark and you can't mistake dark for light. But if your moral compass is wrong, if your ethical compass is untuned, then you will actually put evil for good and good for evil. And conscience is the ability that God has given you. The light of conscience is the, uh, is the ability or to have a moral awareness, amen, of yourself. Discernment deals with external, but conscience deals with the internal. See, with discernment, I can distinguish or I can identify the light of discernment allows me to distinguish the intent of those externally, those around me, those things that are in my vicinity. But conscience allows me to distinguish the motive or the intent, or it allows me to, it allows me to distinguish the heart or the place where I am coming from. It is moral awareness. Amen. Conscience allows you to check yourself. Conscience, con means with, science means science. So the concept, it's a compound word, 
and it means the concept con mean con means with and science means knowledge so the compound word word con conscience literally means with knowledge and so the idea of conscience is is that whatever it is that you are doing you do it knowing or with the knowledge internally that whether or not it is right or wrong see don't nobody have to come and tell you that Murdering somebody is wrong. Amen. That is written. I'm glad that it's written. Thou shalt not murder. Shall not commit murder. Shall not do that. I'm glad that that's written. But the law predates the but the truth or the reality of the law predates its written form. So the truth of the law is actually written on our hearts. So you know instinctively whether somebody writes it down or not you know instinctively, intrinsically, it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to commit adultery. You know it's wrong to steal. You know it's wrong to covet. You know it's wrong to be jealous. You know it's wrong to be disobedient. You, you know these things instinctively. Intrinsically, that's conscience. That is the light of conscience that allows for ethical or moral awareness or for you to be aware of where your motives fall on the scale of morality. In other words, it allows you to know whether what you are doing is right or wrong. Many people like to hide behind the shield of, I didn't know what I was doing. Yes, you did. You absolutely did know what you were doing. And you might fool everybody else. I might fool everybody else, but there's coming a day when the things that you have done, because the Bible is very clear, God is going to judge your works. All of my works are going to be judged. I'm trying to tell you there's going to be a conversation one day. And what you say you didn't know, all of a sudden on that day, I guarantee you on that day, you on that day you're going to have an have an epiphany. All of a sudden when you stand before God and you got to give an account and I've got to give an account of all the stuff that I have done wrong, all of the thoughts that were wicked, all of the things that were unrighteous, all the things that were unclean. I guarantee you on that day I can plead the fifth here in America and say, I don't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was happening. You can do the same and you can fool everybody else and to where you look past all the lie detectors. You won't all of that. You can get away with all of that stuff because the world is none the wiser and the world loves darkness. So they wink at everything. But can I tell you, God is absolutely light. And there is not one thing that you and I are going to get over on God. There will be a day. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. That is what the word of God says. There is a day where there will be a reckoning. All of a sudden, what you said you didn't know, what you didn't understand, and what you, you pleaded the fifth on, all of a sudden, that's going to get canceled. You're going to have an epiphany. You're going to become brighter than you ever thought you could be. On that day, you are going to be fully aware, and it's going to come back to your mind exactly why you did what you did, and you are going to know that it was wrong. I am going to know that what it is was wrong. The trick is, is to confess that stuff, own up to that stuff now. Get that under the blood today. Don't wait till judgment. Get it under the blood today, ma'am, sir. Don't wait till you can't move. Don't wait till you don't have the strength you have today. Don't wait till there are a few. Listen, don't wait to the end. Don't wait to the end to get it right. Get right with God while you still have breath. 
if that's you. Admonish though, if it's not you, but it's those around you. Encourage them. Don't just look at sin and wink at it. Don't just look at stuff that you know are right, seeing loved ones and families that you are know that you know are headed to hell and you don't say nothing. Uh-uh. No. Don't be that person. Don't let the blood of those who you had an opportunity to share the gospel with, the truth with, the light with. You are called to be salt and light. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't let the world, don't let the devil fear you to the point where you are ashamed. Don't be, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. Don't worry about how you're going to look when you start sharing the word. It ain't about how you look. It's not about how I look. The power is not in you. The power is in God. Listen, the quality is not in the sower. The quality is in the seed. God's word is the seed. The power is in the seed. The strength is in the seed. I can't save nobody. You can't save anybody. But you serve a God that if he could save you, if he could save me, if I will just turn my attention to those who are lost, he can save them. Why? Because he can bring light. Glory to God. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that wonderful? God is light. But then we have something else. God is salvation. Amen. David declares God to be salvation. Amen. And salvation is an interesting thing because it is a central theme in scripture. In fact, I mean, it is, it is, it is a central theme from Genesis to Revelation. It is all about salvation because the Bible is that record of what God did to save you. See, when you read the Bible, you ain't reading just the history book. The Bible is historical. The Bible holds historical facts, but you need to understand something. Though the Bible is historical, the Bible is not, and I'm gonna repeat this, the Bible is not a history book. That is not what it is. It is not a history book. Though it is historical, it is not a history book. It can, though it contains history, it is not a history book. It is a guide. It is a road map to get you from earth to heaven. That's what the Bible is. It is not something that is meant to collect dust and to sit on your shelves and on your tables and to decorate our living rooms and other rooms. Uh -uh. That word got to be in your heart. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word is what is going to carry you through. And the word, though it is full of history, it is not a history book. It is a roadmap. It is a guide, amen, to get you from earth to heaven, amen. It is an instruction manual that teaches you and I how to get along with God and how to get along with one another and how to operate in this society. We, we, we look at what's going on right now in society and there is civil unrest everywhere. But imagine if every one of them that are engaged in these stupid acts of civil discord, imagine if they were caught up in the Bible. See, when you caught up in the word, you don't get caught up in the foolishness. You don't get caught up in all that other stuff. 
because the, because the word of God teaches you how to act right, teaches you how to live right, teaches you how to speak, teaches you where to go and what and where not to go. The word of God is living. He said, the words that I speak, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. Glory to God. It is life. It is eternal life. It is, God, is, isn't it just wonderful how God's word absolutely has it all? David declares in Psalms 27 and 1 that the Lord is a salvation. A salvation is a central thing. See, everybody needs it according to the scripture. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that what any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is he talking about? He's talking about salvation. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Amen. Look at that. God, our Savior telling you right there, God is the Savior. <laughs> Glory to God. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men, what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's that light again. Glory to God. Who will have all men to be saved? That's the goal of the Savior. And the Savior is God. We just learned that in this scripture. In the sight of God, our Savior. God is our Savior. That tells you right there, for those of you who might have missed it, the Savior we know has a name. What is his name? His name is Jesus. And there's no other name given under heaven by which a man can be saved. That's Acts chapter four, chapter, verses 10 through 12. We read that and we discover that there's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. Yet here in first Timothy chapter two, three through four, three and four, he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. Jesus is the savior and the savior is God. Glory to God. Okay, somebody had trouble proving that Jesus is God. There's another scripture right there that makes it plain that Jesus is God because and God is our Savior. But verse 4 says, who will have all men to be saved? Talking about the motive of God. Talking about the desire of God. Talking about the heart of God. Talking about the will of God. What is the will of God that all men be saved? God know everybody not going to be saved. But it don't change the fact that he still want everybody to be saved. That's why the gospel is given and is made available to whosoever will. Anybody and everybody has access to this gospel message. God know not everybody is going to hear this message. Glory to God. He know not everybody's going to listen. He know that there's going to be some people that still got a heart of stone. There's some stiff necked people, people that when they hear this gospel, they're going to turn a deaf ear. God know that. 
but look at the God that you serve in spite of knowing that people were going to reject him and, and disrespect him and take what he has given and cast it on the ground as if it didn't have no value. People were going to look at the crucifixion and say it was a fairy tale. People were going to look at the cross of Christ and say it don't apply to me because I don't have no need of being saved. Listen, it still didn't change the fact that God went to a cross and laid down a nature that he created specifically to sacrifice to get you and I right. Glory to God. That is a God that loves beyond the point of no return. When you're not worthy and you're not worth it and I'm not worthy and I'm not worth it, he kept going to the cross. He was obedient, the Bible says, to the death of the cross. He kept right on going. Why? Because he saw you. And I just want to remind somebody today, God still sees you. He's still salvation. We haven't even gotten into this like we should, but you know what? I feel the glory of God because he is salvation. Some are looking for a way out, but the way out has already come. The way out is already here. Harden not your hearts. The Bible says, as in the day, as your fathers did, as in the day of provocation, the day of testing, the day of trial, the day when God was speaking, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God has done a marvelous work. He has turned the light on so that you don't have to walk in darkness, so that I don't have to walk in darkness. David said, he's my light and he's my salvation. God is salvation. And what I love about this word salvation, what I love about it, Brothers and sisters, what I love about it is, is that this word salvation actually refers to physical salvation. See, and a lot of times when we're dealing with scripture, we're dealing with it from the spiritual application. We're dealing with it from the spiritual sense. God saved my soul to that which I can't see. We're looking at, we're looking at on the spiritual plane. But you have to understand, David right here wasn't talking about that. David was talking about in the natural. David was talking of from the standpoint of a king who is surrounded by physical enemies who mean him physical harm. And he said, I'm not going to be afraid because he's my light and he's my salvation. God is my salvation. I know I'm excited, but I can't help myself. He said, he's my light and my salvation. When he was talking about salvation, friends, he was talking about physical salvation. And I want to tell somebody today that God is not just the God of the plains, but he's a God of the hills. He's a God of the valleys. You can't put God in a box and all of a sudden he stopped being God. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he's going to be the same tomorrow. Even if I'm not here to see it, God going to still be here because God don't never change. He is always who he says he was going to be and who he says he is. It's all wrapped up in the title, in the name that he gave to Moses to share with the people. Moses wants to know, who am I going to say sent me? He said, tell him I am sent me. Do you know that God is your deliverance? Do you know today that God is your way? I, I don't care what that situation is. 
God is not just your spiritual deliverance. God is not just your mental deliverance, but God is your physical deliverance. God can heal you. God can change your situation. God can provide for you. God will open doors, and I'm not talking about what I heard. I am talking about what I know. I'm preaching this morning. God is a God of every situation and every circumstance and every scenario, and if you will just have a little bit of faith, if you will believe not just for your sanity and not just for your spirit, but if you will believe for your physical man that God will provide. David said, never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. I'm trying to tell you that you serve a soul-saving God, a mental-saving God, and a physical-saving God. Glory to God. Glory to God, I almost can't even help myself because I know what God has done and my deliverer lives, your deliverer lives. I know we are at time today and I'm getting ready to stop this recording, but if you'll just listen for just a few more moments, I'm trying to tell you that God can say something different when the world says one thing, it doesn't stop with them. You got to get to the throne. You got to call an audience with God. You've got to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, this is what's going on. This is what they're saying. This is what my marriage is like. This is what my finances is like. This is what my health is like. But I heard in your word that you can save me. And David said, I'm not going to be afraid because he's not just my life, but he's my physical salvation. He is my deliverance from everything and everyone. If God be for you, can there really be anybody against you? And even if they said they are, does it really matter when God is your light and your salvation? Amen. Glory to God.